Um, I'll run through a couple of questions uh, really quick that, that I've been asked the last couple of weeks. And anything that's really a common theme that, that comes up more than a few times that seems to be something that's on the listeners' hearts or just the body of Christ in general, I'm going to try to address. Um, and before I get into that, one thing I wanted to make mention to encourage uh, all, all of those that are, that are tuning in, that are listening as part of the body, the reason why I play, now me personally, why I play, Dorothy and I play music before we start the program um, is because m- music, if it is centered upon Christ, if there's an aspect of the heart of the Father or of the Holy Spirit, or of, it helps quiet the soul. We've talked about this in prior broadcasts and some of the teachings um, that, that, that I've shared with all of you or on my blog, it helps quiet the soul. It helps quiet the mind to posture ourselves in a position for us to commune spirit to spirit. So I would encourage all of you, if you have a time, sometimes you guys can't, and, and I've heard people say you're, you're trying to catch the program in snippets where you can, and I understand, but if it's at all possible, let yourself get quiet in one way or another. If it's not the song that we play in the beginning, I'm usually I'm going before the Lord and asking if there's something different to play. Sometimes I'll actually play specific songs for specific broadcasts um, because it sets a certain atmosphere. It helps quiet our soul. So that's why I play them um, in the beginning, typically. Um, I begin to ask about that. So I also would encourage, uh, again, listeners to um, just to rest, allow yourself to quiet down, especially if you're just detoxing from the events of the day. Um, it helps posture us to to receive spirit to spirit. So uh, there was that. Anyway, we're going to be talking tonight about doorways to intimacy. This is going to be a several-part series. Part one is, is uh, motives of the heart. We're going to be talking about uh, motives of the heart and what that has to do with intimacy and how we access or pass through um, and get into greater realms of intimacy with our Heavenly Father. Uh, and last broadcast, we talked about what is a doorway um, it's in scriptures. It's all throughout scripture. Sometimes uh, people refer to it as a portal, a door, a doorway, a gate, a gateway. Um, I'm not talking mysticism in the New Age movement, whatever they've robbed from the Word of God. It's ours to use biblically. It's ours to use scripturally. If someone wants to take the word Bible and rewrite it, such as certain um, cults have done, but we don't stop using the word Bible. If someone has mentioned the word Jesus and they have redefined who Jesus is, we don't stop proclaiming the name of Messiah Yeshua. We don't stop proclaiming the name of Jesus because someone has taken that and perverted that. In the same way, if we use something that's in Scripture to help round out or biblically um, lay a foundation of biblical theology from which we grow in intimacy and personal walk with God, um, we don't throw that out because other people have, have you know, perverted it and, and, and taken it. We bring everything back to the Word of God. Um, so just to, before we get into that, a couple of questions. Um, one, do I have any additional material? Yes, I do. I have a blog. I'm going to spell it out for you. D-W-M-U-R-R-Y.com is a, is a blog. It's a website where I have some insights and teachings um, just as, as I get impressed in prayer to share with them. Um, so I have a website dwmurray.com. Uh, yes, I do. Second is um, people have asked, a common thing comes up, anointing. Um, what is anointing? I've addressed that term. I've addressed the understanding of the Holy Spirit in prior broadcasts. Um, 
One of them was in Prophetic Insights Part 1, 2016, if I'm recalling correctly. I've addressed it here and there. I eventually will do a study just on that, but on the broadcast um, insights for 2016, I addressed the difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant in, 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 a, in uh, some detail. Um, so you could refer to that. But quickly, to clear that up, the word anointing in the New Testament has two terms, has two meanings, are two Greek words that we sometimes translate the same in English. They're not the same Greek word. One means to consecrate or set aside. So the word anointed, someone is anointed. It means, scripturally, they have been set aside for a purpose in the body of Christ. It does not mean something has been poured upon them. That's Old Covenant thinking. There is no place for that, no reference to that in the New Testament other than the baptism of the Holy Spirit coming upon believers in the first century church from the transition from the uh, Old Covenant to the day of Pentecost to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which began entering into persons, people, of the church that accepted Christ as Messiah. We are under a new covenant. The Holy Spirit is inside the believers. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is an empowering of the Holy Spirit. Um, that is the only reference to something coming down in the new covenant. So when we say someone is anointed, we throw that and have thrown that around since about the 1900s. It became a Pentecostal um, with the resurgence of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We began drawing upon the old covenant in error to try to redefine um, or shoehorn who we are as New Testament believers based on the Old Covenant. So very quickly, without getting that too much, uh, are New Testament believers anointed? Well, it depends what you mean by that. If we, if we are set apart, the scriptures say we are a royal priesthood, we are a peculiar, unique people, we are anointed of God, we are consecrated, we are set apart from God. So in that sense, yes, um, we are anointed. Another Greek word for using for anointing um, means to uh, dedicate. So you have set apart, consecrated, you have dedicate. Um, I just recently uh, shared this uh, on my website um, that's on the homepage that talks about us as New Testament believers having the Holy Spirit inside of us and just, again, trying to break through some old covenant um, false doctrines that were, that were shared with best of intentions that have been floating around since the 1920s, 1950s, and the healing revival, 1980s, and are just still floating out there that have no basis in Scripture in for the New Testament believers. Um, the Holy Spirit does not fall upon us. The Holy Spirit is within us, and as we align with the nature and the and the kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit is free to move through us to impart the kingdom of God through the believer to those around him or her. And so when someone says, well, they've been anointed to preach or they have been anointed to heal or they've been anointed to prophesy, again, we have to understand what that means. In the New Testament, someone may be set aside in the body of Christ or dedicated in the body of Christ by God to move with certain giftings in a certain way that still comes from inside the believer. And the New Testament scriptures say that every single member in the church of God from the day of Pentecost, the past 2,000 years, when the Holy Spirit came upon the earth to fill the believers, every single child of God has gifts. There is not a single person who accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, 
that does not have gifts and callings placed within them before the foundations of the earth. Every, there are no spectators in the body of Christ unless we choose to be, and I say this in love, we're in rebellion to God if, if we're doing that. Um, now, many of us are searching that out because we've been taught error, and so we didn't realize. We thought only certain people had this thing that came down from heaven, which we call the anointing, which is erroneous, and, and God would anoint certain unique charismatic individuals. They were specially called of God. That's Old Covenant. Old Covenant. We need to stop drawing upon that to try to validate our self-worth or validate our quote-unquote ministry. Um, so I, I, I just want to clear that up a little bit. Uh, eventually, I guess I'll get back into that because it still con- continues to cause a great degree of confusion, especially amongst the body of Christ that has been beaten and battered under abusive um, leadership. And that brings it to the next point. David, you talk about serving a lot, but yet you seem to speak as a leader in the body of Christ, and yet you're always talking of serving. Um, that's a great point. That's because those that, that have gone on in the body of Christ that, that through time and through communion and through studying the Word of God and applying the Word of God to a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ are referred to as elders in the body. An elder in the Greek simply means an older one. It's not talking physically, although it may talk of it physically if it's referring to an old man. But when they talk about elders in the body of Christ, they're talking about spiritual older people. And those in the body of Christ that have understood righteousness, have that have learned to grasp righteousness, understand identity, understand the heart of God, the nature of God, areas that God has moved on us in. And, and every one of us is in a journey in that area. Every one of us is continuing to grow. But those that are called um, as elders, as leaders, is not from the Western hemisphere mindset, the Western culture. Um, leadership is to serve. Leadership is to be servants. Jesus says, those who are the greatest among you shall be your servants. We just, there's certain scriptures we just refuse to quote or cite or memorize because they, they don't make us feel good because we place worth and value in people looking to us as leaders like Moses under the old covenant, who was anointed by the Holy Spirit as a prophet under the old covenant where the other people didn't have the Holy Spirit in them. And when Moses anointed the 72 elders, he anointed them in the prophetic office. And so you had 73 prophets leading the nation of Israel. And today we say, oh, well, Moses was a type and shadow of, of the pastoral office. That is absolutely unbiblical doctrine. It's a false doctrine. Moses was a type and shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he moved and so did the 72 elders under the prophetic mantle. Don't believe me. Go back in there and read it, and you'll see it for yourselves. Um, under the new covenant today, every one of us has the Holy Spirit, and those in the body of Christ that have gone on, that have dug into the Lord and have things to share, and we all have things to share, serve from underneath to point each other to Christ, to teach people how to use their giftings, to teach people about identity and self-worth, to teach about righteousness, to teach about sanctification, holiness, forgiveness, love. The basics of Christianity um, are meant to serve. 
not to lead up at the top of a mountain and say, everyone come to me. Okay, when you get close enough to me, I'll go further up the mountain and then I'll draw you up. And, and so I'll just keep, when you just keep dragging behind me and following me and I'll get you to God. That's not New Testament scripture. That's not what Jesus did. He pointed the way to the Father. And we are called, when I say we, those that, that are growing up into eldership, we're all in a process. And, and, and our worth is not tied up in what we do or how mature or immature we are. That's, that's understanding righteousness. We are the righteousness of Christ. Our worth is forever severed from our actions or the opinions of others. We can't add to it or take away from it. And I'm a broken record with that because that is one of the areas, it's the mainstay of what Father God has called me to teach and bring forth to serve the body of Christ in this generation, in this hour, is righteousness. So everything comes back to that because it's the foundation of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything will be filtered to the degree that we understand that and either agree with it or contend with it. So, um, so that's, that's uh, scripturally what the Bible says, uh, a little bit, an overview about leadership and serving. Um, in other areas of the world, people understand leadership much better because they don't have a Western culture mentality. They're, they love to serve. Their heart is serving. And so the greater we move in the kingdom, the more that the Lord is able to entrust us with authority, the more we are reflecting the image of Christ as a result of spending time face-to-face with him, the greater he will open up doorways for us to minister and serve people, serve people. I don't need anyone, I don't need to hire somebody to open a door for me. You know, that's not, in, that's not in scripture. I don't need someone to park a car for me to be saying, well, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm an elder in the body of Christ. Let me get someone to answer my phone for me. Let me get someone to, uh, yeah, whatever. I want to go down that road. But the point is, whatever we're doing is the heart of a, of a servant, where we encourage the body of Christ to move in their calling and their gifting and their place in the body of Christ. If we are sitting around as spectators, looking at a leader, it doesn't matter if that, if that person or I say, well, I'm really serving. By teaching, I'm serving the body of Christ. It's the actions behind it. I'm either pointing someone to the Lord Jesus Christ and encouraging people to know who they are in the Lord. I'm encouraging them into greater intimacy. We are encouraging others to use their giftings, to begin discovering them, to begin praying about them, and to always know, hey, None of this changes, adds, or subtracts from our worth, our identity. If a leader is not serving in that capacity, he is out of alignment with New Testament scriptures of what a servant and a leader is in the body of Christ. And it means they themselves must be retrained in righteousness um, and understanding our identity and self-worth. Anyway, okay, so um, addressing that, let's get into the main part of the study here. Um, doorways or doors or, or, or uh, accessing ways to get to intimacy. Uh, doorways to intimacy, part one, motives of the heart. We'll talk about three things. One, we'll get into the introduction, what is intimacy? And then the two key points of how to access greater intimacy. One is going to be judging our motives. And the second is going to be crucifying them. 
crucifying our motives and what that means. So intro, what is intimacy? Uh, Webster's definition of intimacy is close familiarity or friendship, closeness, synonyms, togetherness, affinity, rapport, attachment, friendliness, friendship, affection, warmth, or confidence. These are forms or expressions that shape the idea, the picture, the understanding of intimacy. The cry in the hearts of many in the body of Christ in this hour is intimacy with our Lord. And that makes sense because that is what we were designed for. We were created for intimacy. The Lord created us to spend time with us, for us to spend time with him. We're the only ones of all of creation that are created in his image. We are created for fellowship. And um, it's the cry in the heart and the body of Christ. It always has been. Um, whether we know it or not, if we don't turn to intimacy in him and to find our completeness in him, we'll turn to something else, whether it's drugs, whether it's uh, violating the body in some way, whether it's uh, shopping, whether it's watching TV uh, excessively. I'm not saying any of these things... Uh, inherently are wrong, although I may have mentioned a couple of them. If we're, if we're destroying our temple, of course, that's a, a violation of, of Scripture. You know, we want to take care of ourselves. But my point is, is that we can do anything in and of itself may be fine. It's what's the motive behind what we're doing? You know, what's the motive? It's always about our motive. And we're going to be getting into that. It's understanding the reason behind what drives us, what compels us. What encourages us to do the things we do? And the body of Christ was created for deep communion, for deep fellowship. Um, I'm going to read Psalm 139, and it's, it's, it's a pretty popular psalm. It's worth, uh, it's worth reading here. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down, and you know my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me in behind and before, and you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit, and where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the seas, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day, the darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts and you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well my frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, you saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were written and fashioned for me, when as yet none of them were there. Um, so I would I, I just, you know, it's hard for me not to get choked up when I, when I read that. And we usually refer to that about, you know, pro-life and supporting pro-life. And, but how many of us have really taken that and sat on that and meditated upon? That's intimacy. 
That's how well our Creator, our Heavenly Dad, knows us and knew us before we were formed on this earth. And um, there's nowhere we can go. And no matter how dark things seem to us, He is always with us. And now in the New Testament, I mean, this was written by David. Under the New Testament, under the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit is in us. His Spirit is in us, with us, everywhere we go. There is no darkness with the Holy Spirit inside of us. Um, so anyway, just an example of, of some intimacy. I'm going to give a couple more. Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will, will exult over you with loud singing. Now, Hosea 2.14, Therefore, I am going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and will speak tenderly to her. So if we desire to have a kind of relationship with our Lord that can be described in just some of these verses um, that I read, we need to understand how to develop this. It is accessible to every child of God. It was accessible under the old covenant when they didn't even have the Holy Spirit. How much more so with the spirit of the living God inside of us do we have access to the Holy of Holies and the throne room of grace? We just have to understand some ways in which how we develop this. And um, there are keys or principles in his word. If we choose to align ourselves with them, they act as doorways to intimacy with him and in him. So tonight we're going to start with that, with motives. Number one, judging our motives. One of the ways we develop a depth of communion or intimacy is through understanding the motives of the heart. Said another way, knowing our motives and aligning them to God's nature it enters us into deeper intimacy with him, our motives. The definition of a motive is a reason for doing something, especially one that is hidden or not obvious. Motives are what drive us. So the definition of motives, motive, a reason for doing something, especially one that is hidden or not obvious. I thought that was a great definition. Um, also Webster's. Let's read up a little bit about motives. Proverbs 16.2, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Proverbs 16.9, in his heart, man plans his ways. Proverbs 23.7, for as a man thinks within himself, so he is. Philippians 1.7, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition or motive not sincerely. And one of the things that I want to impart and share and challenge, uh, challenge you guys with is it's not simply what we do. It is the motive behind it. What is our motive grounded in? What is the, what is the foundation, the bedrock from which is driving us to think, say, do, operate, function? Where is that motive coming from? What, is, what belief system is it grounded on? Is it grounded on the mind of Christ, which says it, says it another way, are the thoughts, intentions, heart, and will of the Father, which are expressed through the Word of God, 
or do they come from the carnal-minded man? What does the carnal-minded man mean? So, you know, we'll go over this a little bit again. Are we looking to gain love? Are we looking to gain approval? Are we looking to add to self-esteem? Are we looking to create or add or maintain, guard our self-worth? This is based upon a belief system that says our identity, our value is determined by what we do or don't do and what others think about us. That is a satanic belief system. That is the beliefs and the fear and the thoughts that Satan infused into God's creation the moment we turned over the keys of earth at the fall in the garden to Satan. We lost communion with the Father. We lost being in one spirit with him. And all we had left was the brokenness of this world and the demonic influence over the mind of fallen man. That is what the carnal-minded man is, which the Word of God says, when we accepted the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, that took place when we accepted Christ as Savior. And when we received the gift of the Holy Spirit inside of us, we received the ability to know God's thoughts. They are discerned spirit to spirit. We're going to be getting into that. The Holy Spirit speaks to us, our spirit man. We are spirit beings. We are given through the power of the Holy Spirit for our mind, our will, and our emotions to be transformed into the mind, the will, the emotions of our creator because we have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. We died to the carnal-minded man. We now have the mind of Christ, the ability through the word of God to come into agreement with God's heart, his motive, his intentions. So we are complete in Christ. We have his full love, his acceptance, his righteousness, his holiness. Um, You know, some scriptures that you can read, I, I... beg you guys, the body of Christ, to read and get these things in your heart and your mind. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, 17, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Colossians 1, 21, Hebrews 10, 10, um, Ephesians 1, 6, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, uh, Ephesians 1, 4. They talk about that we were made positionally. When the Father sees us, he sees us through the blood of the perfect sacrifice. He does not see us according to our sin. He sees us as holy and loved and complete. Now, if we choose to live in sin, well, relationally, we're going to be very hindered in our ability to hear from God or commune with God or spend time with God because he's a holy God. And it's not that he turns away from us. It's that we are turning our back to him. That's why the word repentance, repentance to turn, it's not God turning. It's us turning to the throne room. We've stricken that word from New Testament theology. No one wants to talk about repentance. That's not fun. But how much fun is it to die in your sins? How much fun is it to live in a broken, beaten-up world, living in the carnal-minded man, caring what everyone around you thinks, scrapping for a ministry, scrapping for approval, scrapping for a false humility. Say, well, if I just submit myself to this person, and and I say this person's my leader, and I submit to them, that gives me value. I'm showing I'm submissive. I'm, I'm following the commandments of the New Testament. It's all garbage, guys. It's all garbage. There's no life in it. It's one form of a carnal mind or another. People don't want to give that up because to give that up is fearful because it's what we know. It's familiar. 
But if we choose to begin to embrace the ability to walk in the mind of God, to walk in the mind of Christ that was given to us by the Holy Spirit, because the scriptures say the Holy Spirit does not speak on his own, but bears witness to what's being said in the throne room of God. So what's being shared is the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit shares with us, imparts to us, what's living inside of us is the mind of Christ, the throne of God, the kingdom of God is in us. So I just want to encourage you guys with that. Our value has been forever severed and cut off from our performance. Let's get back on some motives, uh, round this out. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall each one have praise of God. That's New Testament. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. I'll, I'm going to read it again. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then each one shall have praise of God. Meaning, there will come a time when God will judge not what we do, but the hidden counsel or motive of the heart. And we will receive our reward based upon was, the, was what we did motivated on the mind of Christ or on the carnal-minded man. It's what motives are being judged here, guys. First Corinthians 4, 5 is not talking about what we do at all. It's talking about motives. Let's back up for a moment because this comes up, and this is a very confusing topic that, um, in, the, in the, the body of Christ in this generation, especially in the United States. Um, you know, we, one of the perverted doctrines that has taken hold in, in many circles of Christianity is the idea of well, we can't judge anyone. You don't judge anyone. Don't judge anyone. So we don't judge. We don't judge. And, and so, that there's, so, so everyone just does whatever they want. We, we fall under the license of, um, of don't judge anyone. We are not to judge a person. We never judge a person. First Corinthians 4 5 is saying, therefore, judge nothing before the time, meaning we don't judge. God judges. But we are absolutely to judge sin. 1 Corinthians 5.11, James 5.19, 1 Corinthians 2.15, John 7.24 tells us we are to judge whether something is of sin or not. That is the only way we can maintain communion with the Lord corporately. If we are living a lifestyle that is unholy, God doesn't leave us. But we are choosing to turn our back to him. We cannot commune with him except by spirit and truth. Purpose for holiness isn't to earn his love. It's for communion. And even that, guys, everything we do can get twisted. Every single thing we do must come back to understanding righteousness. Because if I begin to share about holiness, and we don't understand with the righteousness of Christ, we will begin to try to act holy, to gain his love, to gain his favor, to think we can earn communion with him. We can earn intimacy. We can't. It's not about earning anything. It's about choosing to align ourselves with something so that we can flow with it. If I want to water my lawn, I have to turn on the water. I have to turn on the spigot. So did the, did the water did the lawn earn the right to be watered? 
No, it was a decision that I made to turn that spigot on and water flows. In the same way, if I want the life of God flowing through me, Jesus says from within your innermost being shall flow rivers of life, I have to turn the spigot. Turning the spigot, there's certain keys to that. There's certain areas of our walk that we come into alignment with God that releases intimacy, that releases power, that releases healing, that releases the kingdom peace, that releases uh, and, and, and allows us to take our kingdom authority. Um, these are principles. It has nothing to do with our self-worth. It's simply principles. If I want to get in a better shape, I have to get to a gym. And then when I get to a gym, I have to exercise. And when I exercise, I have to exercise wisely. If I want to, to, to have stronger legs, I'm not going to work my shoulders right, in a vacuum now. Now, I was a personal trainer, so someone said, well, David, if you actually want to work the legs, you have to build your body. <laughs> it's outside the scope of the example. If I want to work my legs, uh, if I want my legs to get stronger, I have to focus on my legs. So what we have to do must come into alignment with the keys given to us in the word of God. So coming back full circle around, right, we don't judge a person. We are to judge sin. This is where confusion has crept in led to these false doctrines of excessive grace and the rejection of holiness in the body of Christ. It started with the false doctrine, the erroneous excessive teaching of not judging because the body of Christ in the 50s and 60s and 70s was just coming out of self-righteousness. We weren't taught the righteousness of Christ. So we became self-righteous in holiness. The holiness movement that started in the 18 and 1900s was not bathed in understanding the righteousness of Christ as a gift. And so we became self-righteous in the body of Christ. And the blowback from that in the 50s and 60s and 70s was you don't judge, love people, love people. And we swang, swung to the extreme of that and said, okay, we don't discuss sin because now we're judging people and we don't want to fall into the error of the previous generation. Just to give you a little church history, you know, in the, the, the last hundred years, that's some of the, the excessiveness that's come up that's upon us now. Um, so let me give you an example that we'll clean it up real quick. I think it'll just breathe so much life and clarity uh, to the body of Christ. Jesus said in John 7, 1 through 3, judge not lest you be judged. How many times have we heard that and even quoted that ourselves when we hear someone complaining about someone else? No, well, you know, it says judge not lest you be judged. That verse seems to be in direct opposition to the verse, which Jesus said only a little bit later on in John seven twenty four. So in 7.1, he says, judge not lest you be judged. In John 7.24, he goes on to say, judge not according to appearance, but judge with a righteous judgment. So usually we quote one verse and not the other, depending upon which camp we're in, the self-righteous camp or the excessive grace and love camp. We, we, we develop amnesia to one of those two verses. So what does it mean? Whenever it's talking about not judging, it's talking about we do not condemn a person. Whenever the scriptures say to judge, we are to judge the actions, the conduct, the sin of what's being uh, transpiring in the body of Christ. <clears throat> the reason why that is is because that's how we guard the assembly in holiness. We're to judge sin. We don't judge a person. We judge actions. The scriptures say you will know them by their fruit. We judge fruit. We judge words. 
if there's a prophetic word given, if there's a whatever kind of word given, word of uh, whatever we call it, uh, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, a prophetic word, whatever, we're to judge words. The scriptures say we're to judge words. We are to judge the times. We are not to judge a person. God alone judges the person, and that is saved for the judgments that are coming. That is saved for the judgment seat and the white throne judgment. Okay? So I hope that clears things up, which will bring us back now to our main point with intimacy and motives. We must judge our motives against the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ that's in us through the power of the Holy Spirit will always be consistent with the full counsel and wisdom of the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, if we are to walk in intimacy, if we are walk into the walk into the kingdom, the fullness of the kingdom, we must judge the motives of our heart that deal with that area of the kingdom. And the first and foremost area that we have to do it, understanding our self-worth. If we do not judge the motives of our heart, if we do not judge where our self-esteem comes from, where our worth comes from, our value, our sense of significance, our inherent sense of worthiness, if we refuse to judge that and submit that to the mind of Christ, our entire walk with God will be skewed to the degree that we contend with him. And that's why the body of Christ has so much brokenness and confusion and anxiety. And even people that have legitimate gifts of the Holy Spirit make such a mess out of them because they're trying to use the gifts of God to create value. And we, we use the body of Christ as, um, as, as we leech off of each other to gain identity and worth. I cannot tell you how many times throughout my walk as a young man and now as someone who counsels where I hear men and women of God describe how they feel good about their walk with God because they are serving. And that always goes back to the motives. Whenever, one, some, whenever we say or think something, that's not the answer. It's what's the, it's what's the reason behind the answer. Well, why do you feel good because you're serving? Why do you feel good because you're helping out in Sunday school? Why do you feel good because you, you're, you're, you uh, decide to volunteer to pick up the elderly to go to fellowship? Is it because of love, of an, uh, a burning love inside of you that you just have to minister out of pure love and you need to do it? Or is serving making you feel good about yourself, making you think you're a better Christian, you're more pleasing to the eyes of the Father? You know what I'm getting at, guys? That's the motives of the heart. It's not what we do. It's why we're doing it. Now, so that this teaching is not taken out of context, if there's things in the Bible, the Word of God that says do not do them, uh, David Murray is not saying it's okay to do them if our motives are right. I am not permitted to murder an innocent person because I think I have a good motive. It will violate scripture, which scripture never violates itself. Um, or it says, you know, I, well, I, I can commit adultery because David Murray is advocating committing adultery because of X, Y, and Z reasons and his motives are pure. If it's a violation of the law of love, I have no business doing it. The new covenant is summed up from the fulfillment of the Old Testament is the law of love. If it violates the law of love, I don't have to pray about it, and I don't have to look at my motives. It's a violation. So, 
I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about, anything that we do, whether good or bad, will be judged based upon whether we're operating from the love of God, the mind of Christ, or whether we're trying to gain something about our own significance. 1 Corinthians 3.12 says, No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. What is the foundation of Jesus Christ? It's imputed righteousness. The foundation of Jesus Christ is that we have salvation. Body Christ must get this. The only reason why we, when we die, we're going to heaven, which is definition of salvation, right? We are saved. What are we we saved from? We're saved from spiritual death. We are saved from hell. The reason why we are saved from that is because when Jesus died, he gave us the gift of righteousness. It is the reason we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That is why we have salvation. Because when we enter into his courts, into his kingdom, when we die, we are covered forever in the blood. We've been given the robes of righteousness and the garment of salvation. We are righteous. Our sins are forever removed and cast into the sea of forgetfulness. They are forever separated from us. That is why we have salvation. We cannot state we have salvation and contend with him that we're not righteous in his eyes because it is righteousness of Christ given at the cross which we receive when we accept that gift that gives us salvation and allows the Holy Spirit to enter into us. So I... I, Man, we just got to get that. Righteousness is our foundation. The foundation of Jesus Christ is righteousness imputed to his children. We have become the righteousness of Christ. This is what gives us salvation. We can't have salvation without righteousness, brothers and sisters. It's impossible. That is salvation. So I hope that makes sense. And going back to 1 Corinthians 4, 5, where it says, Judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will make manifest the counsels of the heart. That's a real oucher to those of us that grew up thinking that God is interested in our works, interested in what we're doing. You know, uh, people say, well, David, well, you always talk about the motives. Where does that come from? The Bible says we're created for good works. Yeah, we're not created for bad works. We're absolutely created for good works in Christ. He's called us forth to live as living sacrifices. That is an outflow to, of the degree that we commune our hearts become like his. What's our first thought? Not our trained, conditioned thought. What is our first thought when we see a stranger? What is our first thought when someone wrongs us? What is our first thought when we hear someone spoke behind our backs at the marketplace at work? What is our first thought when someone cuts us off online at the grocery store? Those initial, immediate thoughts come back to our belief system. That is what God wants. He wants the motive of our hearts. He wants to transform our hearts into his heart so that we respond with the love of Christ. How was it that Stephen, when he was, as he was being stoned, was able to look up with the glory of God on his face and just lay down and go to sleep? How are people able to give the love of God? How are martyrs who are dying right now while this broadcast is being recorded They are dying with their dying breath, (sighs) 
saying how much Christ loved them. The body of Christ in America is unfit to be martyrs. And I just call a spade a spade. The body of Christ as a whole are unfit or unworthy to function as martyrs because we do not have the love of Christ inside of us. We have the fear of God in us and only the fear of God. We have the carnal mind that we choose to relate to. Trying to, Jesus said, if you try to save your own life, you're going to lose it. And yet the thing going across America in one of the camps is how do we prepare so that we can be safe when the judgment of God comes? That's not New Testament Bible. And guys, I say this in love. I, you may hear passion, but it's a passion because the love of the Father is to redeem us and to reconcile our hearts because there are people dying and going to hell right now that if they do not hear the gospel message spoken from the heart of God, they're not going to receive it and they're going to go to hell. Now, I know that some people's doctrines... They have theology about that, and I'm not going to get into any of that. Everyone has their own thoughts on things. But the bottom line is Jesus says, go out, make disciples of all the nations, preach the gospel with signs following. So anyway, back to motives. Um, Verse, uh, where am I? 1 Corinthians 3.12. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, Their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of what each person's work is. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only one as escaping through the flames of fire. So what is that saying? 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15 is talking about the day will come when everything we did will be judged in the purification of God's holiness. Whenever it talks about fire, guys, that's holiness. It's refinement. It's refinement. Fire is not meant for fear. The holiness, the fire of God burns up anything unpure because he is a holy, pure, loving God. As we get into his presence and we practice time with him, the things that are not of him, if we allow it, if we allow it, when the Holy Spirit pricks upon our spirit and says, David, give this up. This is death. Give this up. In its place, I will fill it with the kingdom. If I respond to that wooing, respond to that call, that, that's an example of a call to holiness, guys. It's not about works. It's about intimacy. As we do that, our conduct will naturally reflect the kingdom of God. That is what it's talking about, silver, gold, and costly stones. Then it goes on to describe wood, hay, and straw, things that get burned up. Everything that we will do will be judged. We will receive a reward based upon the things that were done from the heart of God as an outflow of our communion, from being one with him and one in him. Anything that's burned up, we're not going to lose our salvation but we will be purified through that judgment. We will be purified. The work will be made manifest. Everything hidden will be brought to light. And the Lord will say, David, you did this great work. You helped out all these widows and elderly people. You laid hands upon all these sick. The motive here wasn't pure. There can be no reward in this area. And I'll say, yes, yes and amen, Lord. You are right. Truth, Lord. And that's what he'll do. And that's love. That's holiness. He cannot honor anything that is done 
out of anything that's contrary to his nature, anything that has to do with our carnal mind. It's talking about motives. It's not the actions, guys. It's what's behind the actions. And it's not me. It's the word. Let's go to one other place, okay? And we're going to go on to part two. How do we crucify these motives? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13.3. Just hitting on motives some more. But if I give... This is just great. Everyone knows this. It's spoken of every wedding, just about every wedding. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. If I give all I possess to the poor, that's an action. If I give over my body to hardship, that's an action. That I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So, what is being judged? The action? No. The motive behind it. Was it based upon love or not? Let's read that again. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, then I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. 1 Corinthians 13, the big love chapter that it talks about, is a big chapter of motives. It's talking about the motives of the heart. What is love? That's the throne room of God. That's the nature of God. That's the fire of God. It's the holiness of God. If we are not doing things, or let me say another way, to the degree that we are moving from the compassion and the heart of the Father is to the degree that what we're doing will be honored by the Lord. Because that's the areas we glorify him. That's the areas where we're one in his kingdom and one with him. That's intimacy. So as we put these scriptures together, we can see it's the motive behind the actions that's going to be judged. It's not about, that's why there is no self-righteousness. That's just a fancy way of saying we operate out of, out of a satanic belief system. We have the righteousness of Christ. And as we continue to know how loved we are, spend time with him, we will grow in that love. So the first key, let's, let's, let's go back. Okay, we talked about intimacy. What is intimacy? It's a closeness. We talked about um, the two doorways, two keys that, have to, that help us access intimacy. One is judging our motives. We must examine our motives if we want to experience a life where we are walking and interacting in the realm of the spirit. We are spirit beings. We are not soul beings. We are spirit beings that possess a mind, will, and emotions. And we're housed in this temple of flesh. The Holy Spirit resides inside our spirit man. If we want to commune there, we have to judge our motives. We have to make sure that our mind, the mind of Christ, is submitting to the spirit of God. And the second then is crucifying them. And, and we're going to talk about that next. How do we crucify our motives? This is really what it's saying. is really applying the righteousness of Christ, which we've already been taught. Um, so after we've judged our motives, after we've examined them against the word of God, the second step is to crucify them or applying righteousness. And we're going to get into a little bit uh, uh, a little bit of detail with this here. We align our thoughts to the mind of Christ. What this means is this positions us to be in proper spiritual alignment. We place ourselves in alignment so that our soul, our mind, our will, and emotions are not fighting against the Holy Spirit trying to communicate with us spirit to spirit. So how do we do this? James 4.8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. 
wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The Greek word there for double-minded means to have literally two souls. So what are the two souls that we can operate in? The scriptures say we've been given the mind of Christ and that we died to the carnal mind of man. So what James is saying is if you're coming to him, not just from the mind of Christ, but you're coming to him for the soul, the thinking of the carnal man, you're not going to get very much from the Lord. You're double-minded. It goes on to say we're unstable in our ways and not to expect much from the Lord. It's not that the Lord withholds. The scriptures say he's given us freely all things in Christ. It's we cannot apprehend the things of the kingdom if we are arguing with the kingdom. God does not withhold. He's a, he's a giver. He's a generous giver, and he has, through Christ, freely given us all things. We have to transition away from that thinking, God withholds, I didn't earn something. It's no, we either line ourselves, we either turn on, that tap, or we're not. Um, so 1 Corinthians 2.9, uh, talking about conforming our minds to the mind of Christ. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and that no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Um, man, we could spend a whole hour just talking on that verse, but we won't. Um, quote that. A lot of New Testament born-again believers will quote that. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things God has prepared. That's Old Covenant. They're quoting Old Covenant. That has been that, that verse with what Paul is saying is, hey, guys, here's the old covenant. Here's the prophecies. We didn't have the mind of Christ inside of us. We can't figure him out. But then he goes on to say, the things God has prepared for us has been revealed to us by his spirit now. In the new covenant, we do know the things of God. We have access to those things. The scriptures say the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. That is telling us, it's revealing to us that the things of God are revealed to us by his spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.11, for who knows a person's thoughts except his own spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. It's the spirit of God which lives inside of our spirit that gives us access to that communion something the Old Covenant did not have unless they were anointed with the Holy Spirit, unless the Holy Spirit came down from heaven and covered them. That's The Holy Spirit is in us now. That's why the Scriptures say we have a better covenant. Only the Spirit of God knows the thoughts of God. Where is the Spirit of God residing in us now? It's in our human spirit. It's not in our mind. The Holy Spirit does not exist in our mind. It exists in our spirit. So what we do is we cannot access his heart through our soul. This is important, guys. Even the mind of Christ, we cannot access the kingdom through the mind of Christ. I'm going to explain that. It's never through the soul. The mind of Christ right, is the mind, the will, and emotions that are in agreement with God's word. We do not commune with God in our soul. The reason why we have to first judge our thoughts, discern them where they're coming from, and then bring them into obedience to Christ or crucify them, apply righteousness, is so that we are walking in the mind of Christ. What, the, what that means is our soul is meant to submit to the things of God. 
the mind of Christ, meaning we have an understanding of his ways and his thoughts toward him, toward ourselves, toward the world. We have the ability to know his thoughts. It's when we come into alignment with his nature, his thoughts, his heart, his intentions, through the word of God, that is referring to walking by the mind of Christ. As our soul does that, we submit to the spirit man that is communing with the Holy Spirit. That is the gateway to intimacy. That allows us access to hearing the voice of God speaking to a spirit, just having the mind of Christ, walking in the mind of Christ, crucifying our thoughts, bringing them to the cross, bringing them to the word of God, means we have the ability through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to impart to us the thoughts and ways of the heart of God. It is communicated by the Holy Spirit to our spirit, and then our spirit man makes it known to our soul. Now, if I'm not walking with thoughts that are in agreement with God's thoughts, I cannot hear what God is speaking to me, or I will be, what he shares to me will become perverted. That's why we have legitimately people that are called to bring forth a word from the Lord, and it's perverted. You can hear, you're like, I'm getting something out of this, but something's just not right. It's because the Holy Spirit is giving their spirit revelation, but we're not walking in renewed minds. We're not walking by the mind of Christ. There have been times where God has shared something with me. I got it in my spirit, and as my mind began mulling over it, I just rejected it because I said, oh, I'm unworthy. Oh, I'm just a sinner. I I can't be right. I have rejected many things the Lord has spoken to me because my mind refused to submit to God's truth. And that's what causes so much confusion in our walk. And really, guys, this is not difficult. This is simple, wonderfully simple stuff that we just we just have to apprehend it, take it, say, yes, I'm, I'm running with this. This is the word of God. It's not me. It's understanding how to submit our soul to our spirit so that when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, our spirit man can now pass that through to our mind, the organ of our brain. And because we're moving in agreement with God, we don't resist what he says. And if you, you just take some time and think about think about how many times we believed or heard something or thought we heard something and we reject it. In the scriptures, it even has that in the scriptures. You know, here's a great example of that. We mentioned about it last time. The Lord gave a revelation to Peter while he was in a trance. Sorry, he was at Joppa. Scripture said he went into prayer, went into a trance. The Lord spoke to his spirit, gave him a revelation of the new covenant. The Lord says, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And he saw all these uh, under the old covenant unclean things. His mind said, no, Lord, I will n- I've never touched anything unclean. See, his mind did not have the revelation of the new covenant. But because he was willing to submit his thoughts, he was able to receive the revelation of God. So when God speaks to us, we have to be willing to cooperate with what he's saying, place it against what the Bible says, place it in context with the word of God. And that's how we begin entering into greater intimacy. We align our thoughts to the mind of Christ then we submit the mind of Christ to the Holy Spirit, commune spirit to spirit, not spirit to mind. The 
Spirit brings understanding to the mind of Christ that we possess. And that's a key, a doorway to intimacy. There are others we're going to talk about. That's a major component to how we begin recognizing the voice of God, seeing the voice of God, and experiencing the reality of his presence is coming into proper biblical alignment. 1 Corinthians 2.16, again, Paul quoting the Old Covenant, quote, for who has known the mind of God as to instruct him, end quote, but we, Paul saying, but we have the mind of Christ. We align our thoughts, we crucify our thoughts, we bring them down to, to agreement with the word. That's walking by the mind of Christ. We submit the mind of Christ to our spirit man. The Holy Spirit speaks, communes spirit to spirit, not spirit to mind. God is spirit. We commune in spirit and in truth, the scriptures say. The scriptures do not say we commune, we worship in, in mind and in truth. It's in spirit and in truth. We are spirit beings. And the spirit brings understanding to the mind of Christ, and then we cooperate with it. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, Romans 8, 6. The Spirit testifies with our spirit, the scriptures say, right? The Spirit does not testify with our mind. Commune spirit to spirit. We commune spirit in truth. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That's why a lot of times when we're questioning the body of Christ, well, am I really saved? I'm really saved. That's not your spirit man asking if you're saved. That's your unrenewed mind coming under condemnation. It's not the spirit of God speaking to your spirit. Your spirit man knows you have the Holy Spirit inside you. It's your fallen mind. It's the carnal mind of man that we died to, not picking up the mind of Christ. Because the Holy Spirit speaks spirit to spirit. That's why we must submit our mind, our thinking to the word of God. That is what walking in the mind of Christ is. And we must do that in every single area of our lives. It's a major component to the doorway to intimacy. If we're not walking in agreement with God's word, and this starts by with seeing him perfect love and his perfect holiness. As we begin to agree with who he says he is, who he says we are, our level is going to be limited to outer court experiences. He can only speak to us so much if we're, if we're just rejecting what he's trying to impart to us because the kingdom flows through us to the degree that we place ourselves in alignment with the kingdom truth. That's sanctification. It's the process of becoming like God. Holiness, holy means to be like God. Sanctification is a verb. It means to become like God. So sanctification is the process of becoming holy, or said another way, sanctification is the process of becoming like God. It's not about works. It's about do we want it intimate in the spirit realm? Do we want a fellowship with the God of peace that surpasses all understanding? Do we want to spend time in the realm of the spirit so that we have a Sabbath rest that never leaves us? so that we have peace under all things. These are how the martyrs in the, in right now in the world are living and dying. These are how our brothers and sisters in generations past lived and died as martyrs. 
They walked in the mind of Christ. They moved in the power of the kingdom. And they lived, shared the gospel, broke bread together, and died as martyrs in love toward the very people that were torturing them. It's taking place right now in the world. The United States knows nothing about it. We will. We will know that. And what Father is attempting to do is to prepare us for the times ahead. Not so that we're scared, so that we walk in our calling we're meant to walk on because that is what brings a nation back to God. The lost, our leaders, those that are in darkness, those that are making satanic secret pacts to destroy this nation, they are crying out for the church to wake up and set them free. They are not the enemy. They are God's lost. And I didn't say it. That's the Great Commission. And it doesn't make a difference what I think. So, anyway, finishing up. Intimacy. What is intimacy? It's deep communion. Um, as we continue to judge our motives... What are we trying to get? What are we trying to gather? What are we trying to gain? We have to look at what is driving us, what's behind everything we do. Whether it looks pleasing or not, it's the hidden motives of the heart that God wants. He wants to change into his image. The second is crucifying them. It's applying righteousness. It's applying 2 Corinthians 10.5 to bring everything to the cross, to aligning ourselves with the mind of Christ so that our spirit man which is communing with the Holy Spirit, can you impart to us his truth, his nature, his kingdom. As we practice this, guys, as we begin to do this, you'll begin to just sense a peace upon you and a peace coming up within you. You'll begin to sense things. You'll begin to know things about people that you walk by, and then you'll suddenly feel like, I want to pray for that person. And the more that we practice that, the more we practice communion in the kingdom, the more we enter into greater intimacy. Then when something pushes a button, we go back to him. Well, why did this bother me? Why did this make me feel angry, stupid, foolish? Why, why, why did I care what that person thought? Why was I not myself, meaning a child of God, knowing I'm fully pleasing? And as we begin to grind those things out in our quiet time, in our prayer time, through the word, through meditation, we release more of the kingdom to flow through us. And that's how we grow in intimacy. That's how we grow in reflecting his image and share the good news. But more than anything else, it's intimacy in him. I don't wake up one day saying, oh, I just want to, let me say this the right way. I don't wake up one day, I don't wake up saying, who can I heal today? My desire and what I'm growing in is, is to say, is to wake up feeling the love of God upon me and really, really say most accurately within me, flowing from within me, feeling his peace, feeling his love, feeling his approval, feeling the righteousness of Christ in me and around me and the kingdom of God around me so that my natural interactions with people is, let me share with you something I have. Peter says, such as I have, I give to you. He was just giving the kingdom. It's a natural byproduct. This is what it means by walking in the spirit. Galatians 5.25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. 
Galatians 6, 1, I'll finish up with this. Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. That's a side note. Not everyone is qualified to restore a person. It says those who live by the Spirit are qualified to restore a person. This is where division comes in. Going back to judging earlier on, we say, well, someone's caught in a sin. Let me try to restore them. We don't restore them by the life of the Spirit. We restore them by the carnal mind which brings people into condemnation. For those of you out there that, that you know, had friends like Job, <laughs> they just didn't know any better. They thought they were trying to restore you. And if we're, not, if we're not moving and ministering and counseling and serving each other by the life of Christ, by the mind of Christ, by the power of the Spirit, um, it's not going to breathe kingdom life. For I want to encourage those of you out there that have been beaten up by the other members of the body of Christ, they just didn't understand what they were doing. They don't know any better. We haven't been taught our worth and identity in Christ. Please forgive them. Please forgive them. It will unlock areas of your heart, your spirit, that will help you flow in greater intimacy in life. So um, that about sums it up. I'll just recap it real quick. Doorways to intimacy is one, judging our motives, being brave enough to, to dare to believe God's word, to look at what is motivating us and to bring it to the cross, repent of it if we need to, um, which is the second key, crucify him. Apply the righteousness of Christ. Apply the truth of his word. Bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So the two keys, judge our motives and then crucify them, conform them to Christ. Um, so that concludes... Um, Tonight, and what we're talking about in Doorways of Intimacy, this is part one. We're going to be talking about several different aspects, the different ways that we approach intimacy. They all, they all dovetail together, and each one of them exponentially um, allow us to enter into greater and greater realms of, of, of his kingdom and his intimacy and his power. Um, so that's it. Uh, Dorothy, uh, any questions on your end or, or anyone's hands raised in there before we, uh, we say goodnight? Oh, we should give them a couple of minutes. Uh, nope, they left. Olive left. Pam was in there, too. Um, Who was in there? Pam Miller and oh, Olive okay. Tree were in the chat room. I know Pam okay. is that maybe we can just put a chat in on the end. She asked if you could explain more about receiving and in receiving him from your heart. I wonder if he could explain that more about receiving him from your heart. Okay. Um, okay, receiving him from your heart. What does that mean? Okay, the heart, the Greek word for heart is lebeb, and that refers to the mind, the will, and the emotions. So another way of saying heart um, is soul. Now, here's the tricky part with this, guys, is that a lot of times – we translate different Hebrew and Greek words with the same English word, and it's so confusing. I really encourage you guys, especially with the ability of the Internet and, and, and the Greek and Hebrew lexicons that are out there, if a verse stands out to you and it seems conflicting, look at what the Greek or the Hebrew is saying, because sometimes heart, sometimes spirit, um, the, the spirit man, referring to our spirit, is actually translated heart. And why they do that, I must be the people who translate the Bible have their own doctrinal theologies. I have no idea why it's mistranslated. So having said that, 
when I'm talking about the heart, I am talking about labab, I'm talking about the mind, the will, and the emotions. In any area where our spirit man, which houses the Holy Spirit, is in constant communion, there's a constant dialogue, a constant oneness. We've been restored. We are one with the realm of the spirit in our spirit man. In order for us to be able to receive what has been communicated to our spirit, um, let me say it this way. If I'm walking in disagreement with God's word, it's going to be hard for me to receive what the Holy Spirit is saying. And I'll give an example. Um, this is something that happened, um, I guess, last year or whatever. I was talk- the Lord was, was, was walking me through a season where he wanted to show his affection to me. Um, he wanted to show me how involved he was in my life. Um, he, he wanted to bring about a, a greater intimacy. He was moving me in a season where he wanted to begin showing me things. To make a long story short, I, I love playing the bagpipes. Um, it's, it's one of the things that I do. I get alone, and, and it's, it's my own private time with the Lord, and I just get alone and I play the pipes. Well, I had an opportunity to go see a, a pipe maker. Um, first of all, I love old beaten-down warehouses. I love old shops, and, and, and this guy fit the bill. And he had this 100-year-old building he was in with 100-year-old equipment from Scotland, and he was a wood turner. He was making pipes. So I got down there. To make a long story short, I got to play all these amazing pipes, these gorgeous-sounding bagpipes. Um, and as I was le- now I knew driving down to this guy, I felt an unction of the Lord, not just his presence within me. I felt an unction. There was something going on. So the entire time I was, I was there speaking to this person, I was waiting for the leading of the Lord in what I was to share. I didn't know if I was going to share with him a word of knowledge, if I was supposed to lay hands upon him, if the Lord was going to show me a sickness he had if I was just supposed to share the gospel message, but I was in a heightened state of preparedness because I can feel this unction churning within me the whole time. So now as we're getting ready to leave, we finished up our coffee, I laid down the pipes, and he's, getting, he's like, well, i got to get going, David, and it was nice hanging out with you. And now I'm getting a little bit anxious because I'm like, well, I haven't given him anything of the spirit. I haven't shared anything. And so I just, I had nothing. I just so I left. I walked out, grabbed my coffee, and I'm sipping my coffee, and I'm walking down the hall, and I'm now I'm talking to the Lord. I said, Lord, did I miss something? You know, was there something I was just not grasping? I I knew my spirit man, right? Because we commune spirit to spirit. My spirit man was communing with the Lord. I felt it. I perceived it. I was sensitive enough, but my mind couldn't grasp what was going on. And so I asked. I said, I said, Lord. What is it? And the Lord answered me, and he said, did you enjoy playing those pipes? And I said, yeah, Lord, I I enjoyed them very much, very, very much. And he said, David, I orchestrated all of this for you. This wasn't about you ministering to someone else. This was about me ministering to you. And when the Lord said that, I literally, without realizing, I hadn't realized until afterwards that I had stopped walking, almost dropped my coffee, and literally the organ of my brain began to ache. It began to hurt. I began getting a headache almost instantly. And I said, Lord, if that was really you, I said, please say that again. Let me hear that. And he repeated it word for word. 
And I said, Lord, why, why is, what's going on with my mind? Why does my head hurt? And he said, David, because you are contending with my word about you. You say how we're, you have my righteousness. You share and write upon how we're loved and accepted. And when I orchestrated something out of my love for you, your mind wants to reject it because of some unfinished wounds in you. He said, I want those wounds. And so I repented right then and there. I said, Lord, I, I, I choose to agree with your word, that your word says that I am made accepted in the beloved. Ephesians 1.6 says, To the praise of the glory of his grace in which he has made us accepted in the beloved. Lord, I receive that. I am loved by you. I, I, you, you love me. And the moment I did that, that part of my mind, the, the ache in my head, just left. It lifted. And what happened is, is I conformed. I took a, pa- a part of my carnal thinking without even realizing a part that was contending with who he says I am as his son. And I brought it into the mind of Christ. I submitted my will, my mind, my will, my emotions. Now I was moving in the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ agrees with the word of God. It says I am loved. And now when my soul was submitted to the life of God because I'm in agreement with his word, I felt his love and his peace and the power of his presence begin to churn inside of me. And it got heavier and stronger and stronger and stronger. And what I was experiencing was a deeper level of communion because now I took my mind, I took my soul, I took my heart and I submitted it to the truth of God's word, which is the mind of Christ. And from there, now I am in a position to freely receive. Now I am completely in alignment for the Holy Spirit to speak to me as a spirit man and for my spirit man to impart that life of the kingdom through my mind, will, and emotions and, and ultimately just flow through my body. So I hope I, that's, I try to place an example on that. I hope that makes some sense. Um, and uh, that's an example. That's how we do it. We take our thoughts and we agree with what God's word says about whatever the topic is. First and foremost is righteousness. We must walk in understanding we're loved, holy, and accepted positionally. doesn't matter how we live. If we sow to sin, we're going to reap death, meaning we'll reap death in that area of our life. If I sow to, to um, you, you know, alcohol and I become an alcoholic, my liver is going to reap that alcohol. Okay, I'm not talking about spiritual death. I'm talking about school, but we're going to reap what we sow to. Um, so relationally is one thing, but positionally, as we begin to embrace in our mind the truth of God's word, we allow ourselves to hear and receive the kingdom flowing through us in deeper and deeper revelations. And he begins to speak to us. But just that day, it was amazing to me how he prepared everything of that day for me. And to set me free of an area and to enjoy greater communion in him. And just because he loved me. I mean, I, I mulled over that for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, he he set this up because I like playing the bagpipes. And he knows that. And, and he enjoys that. He wants to share how he enjoyed he enjoys hearing me play. It was, it was so surreal um, and humbling in a sense because I had no idea I had that wound still. That I was contending with him in that area. And that's the faithfulness of God. Is that we're not aware of all the things. 
But if our heart is saying, Lord, to the degree that I know, I'm choosing to embrace your truth, the power of the Holy Spirit will knock on the door of my heart. Jesus says to the church, Revelations 2, behold, or 320, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's always knocking to go deeper into the caverns of our, of our heart, of our mind, our will, and our emotions. So I hope that, uh, I, I, I hope that helps drive it home a little bit more. Okay, we do have a caller with their hand up. Um, area code nine seven one. The mic is yes. open. Okay, can you hear Go me? Ahead. Yeah. Hi. Hi, it's Pamela. Hi, Pamela. How are you? I'm good. I, I um, that what you said was very helpful. Um, I I was I didn't wasn't able to get it all on um the text of what. I was trying to say is like, cause you were saying something about witnessing to people with um, the love of God in your heart. So I, I was a piece of that missing is like um, uh, that, that they I, basically were you saying they wouldn't be converted if you weren't able, if you didn't have a real relationship with God and, and learn how to help them through oh, okay. God being in okay. your heart. Got it. Okay. Wow. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I'm glad because that would definitely would have been taken out of context by stuff. Um, okay. No, it, 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 the Holy Spirit convicts. So uh-huh. um, I can be a jerk and yeah. preach the word of God. And if the Holy Spirit falls upon that perversion, per- person in mm-hmm. conviction, they will be, they're, they're, they will be convicted um, mm-hmm. of their spiritual condition and they can receive Christ irregardless of how impure the vessel is. Um, that's why I've, I've known many people with the gift of evangelism. Um, I have some wonderful, very, very close friends of mine that are that are amazing. They just they they function as an evangelist. They serve the body. They serve the lost. They serve God's lost children as evangelists. And they, when they speak, the power of the Holy Spirit moves, and the the, the recipient just they just receive Christ. Now, mm-hmm. I have met other people that serve that they are called to the office of an evangelist and they're they're they got a lot of unfinished business in them as we say. They're they're they don't have a lot mm-hmm. of love for people. They, mm-hmm. they they don't really have a lot of compassion. But the drive within them they just have to preach the gospel. Many times it's out of um what Paul talks about, selfish ambition. Many times it's out mm-hmm. of um self righteousness. And yet the Holy Spirit moves so strongly uh, in that area through them that people still come to Christ. So, so no, uh, so, mm-hmm. so that's the Holy Spirit's job to lead and draw. Okay. What I'm okay. saying is the, the scriptures say that it is, do you not scorn the goodness of God, knowing, know ye not that it is the goodness of God that leads man to repentance? Meaning okay. the more that I reflect the kingdom gotcha. of God, the more people are drawn to that. The more people okay. are drawn, you don't, you don't have to work so hard for giftings to flow, to crush a person, to mm. bring them repentance. It's the love of God that draws them out. Mm-hmm. That's what people say, well, I'm, I'm not evangelist. Well, if we're, we're, to the degree that we are living in Christ, in his nature, we are living evangelists. We are all called to, mm-hmm. to be a light. And when it talks about being a light, it's the kingdom that is light. Because God is light, mm-hmm. you know, and there's no dark, mm-hmm. you know, darkness or shadow turning. So mm-hmm. the more that we are transformed into his image, 
the more that will naturally draw people. I, I know okay. I have people I know that when they, they just they go by somebody, they have to start a conversation with them because that person just has so much of the love of God flowing right. through them. So that's what, right. that's what I was trying to talk about. You know, it, um, okay. God can move no matter what, but why make it harder for the person? <laughs> you know, why, you right. know why, why have right. them have to see past us to um, the goodness of God, yeah. if, you know, if we can just yeah. learn to bring the kingdom? Yeah. Okay, awesome. That was okay, Pamela. Thank you. Yes, thank, thank you for you. that. That's very important. That would have, yeah, that, I'm very glad that uh, hopefully people are still listening and that and that will clear that out. <laughs> so thank you. Yes, yes. Well, thank you for clearing a lot of stuff up, but still I should just really, really trying to clear things up, and I had put on the um, the the forum or the yeah, I guess the forum. But uh, you know, when you're texting while you were speaking, that you know, I've been going through some real sadness this week, just letting go of all these things that um, you know gave me self worth, and trying to let them all go, and uh, just let God be my everything and it's yeah. been it's been quite a <laughs> it's been quite a ride yeah and the reason why that is pamela is because there is there is a um there's a leap of faith at, we are we are choosing to give up what has definitively given us worth whether it's temporal well it is all temporal yeah. because it never ends it's no, it's a, it's a right. never ending uh you know um hamster reel but we have to that's where the scriptures are talking about we walk by faith and not by sight it's because when we're used to walking by the fallen man the fallen person the fallen thinking the things of this realm we then have to believe for something that we are not yet experiencing that's mm-hmm. where we apprehend things by our beliefs and not by quote-unquote sight it's the sight of the five physical senses the sight of our carnal emotions and that gap is the gap where we have to stay steadfast until as we've renewed our mind, the things begin to click and we begin experiencing spirit to spirit, the love of God. We begin experiencing the reality of the love that is already in there, that we've just been locked out to and turned out to. Um, So just keep staying steadfast, Pamela. You just keep speaking the truth. You, yes. you speak to those emotions and you submit them to the mind of Christ and to who you are as a spirit being. And you, it, it has, everything must bow to the name of Jesus. Everything bows to the spirit of God inside you. Yes. Awesome. Okay, sister. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. I really You're welcome. appreciate it. And, I, and I'm sure I'll catch up with you guys again soon. Definitely. <laughs> okay, you, you have so a great weekend Dorothy, as always. Thank you. Yes, you too. God bless you. Thanks, Pamela. You too. Thanks. Thanks for the prayers. Uh Uh-huh. Definitely. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was a great question. I'm really glad Pamela called about that. Yeah, I'm glad she clarified that because that wasn't what came through in the chat, you know, but... Well, and and, uh, and um, I had a fleeting thought that I wasn't explaining it uh, well enough when I said it, and I thought, eh, maybe no one will... Maybe it won't be a blip on the radar, but that is an excellent point, and I'm glad I, I clarified that. That's important. Yeah, it was a good story, it, though. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. 
some a lot of people don't realize how much he loves us, that he does things just because he loves us. Just like we do things for our kids just because we love them or our spouses. Oh, yeah. And he does the same thing just just because. Yeah. Yeah, it's a never-ending. Uh, we just we, we really move in deeper and deeper revelations of that love. I mean, he, his love is limitless, so we can never get to the bottom of that. Uh, we just keep growing in the revelation of his love. Even though we are fully loved, we just grow in the capacity to understand that. Um, this thing is wonderful. So anything else, Dorothy, before we say goodnight? No, that seems to be... I did want to say one thing about your latest blog post. And what you've been yes. teaching a little bit in so far as when we study the Old Testament. Yes. And and you really brought this home to me. I kind of, it was one of those things that I knew, but sometimes it it's you know, you don't know that what you know sometimes. Yes, but yep, I know what you mean. We really do need to filter it through the fulfillment of the New Testament. So it's yes. like a different way of thinking. Uh yeah, the, the 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 body of Christ um we haven't really been taught that um not in many generations as a whole if you studied church history and the and the the perpetuating doctrines and theologies that, that have gone out there that formulate the mindset of the body of Christ here in America. We have not um we've mingled the old covenant and the new covenant. The charismatic movement really uh really really uh there was a high cost to be paid for for the body that learns to open up to to the things of the spirit, but not with the mind of Christ and its teachings. And that was one of the things is that we just continue to draw upon the old covenant for identity. And um, so I'm glad that blessed you. That was really that was a that was a hard study for me to write. And what I mean by that is sometimes when I write, uh, the intensity of it, the the, the prompting of the Lord gets so strong on me that I actually have to get up and take a break sometimes. And, um, you know, I was crying right through most of that just for feeling the, the, the brokenness and the love of the father to get that word out to his kids. So, um, thank you for that feedback. That really blessed me. Cause sometimes writing those things are it's exhausting, uh, in a good way, but it's just, it's, it takes some time. It's, uh, you feel in the Lord's heart for some things and, and, um, that, that one in particular was really, once I was done, was a joy to have written because the body of Christ really, really, really needs to meditate on who we are with the Holy Spirit inside of us. So so praise God. That's just awesome. He's, he's just so faithful. So we need to come up with some new words, though. Oh, with the, in regards to, to anointing? Uh, yeah, in regards to anointing and trying to explain the spiritual sensitivity, the spirit to spirit, I find it hard to find the correct word. What do you call that? Is that just another sense? In what in like, what regard? It, like, it's not an emotion. And it's like the only words that I ever find to describe the spiritual aspect of things seem to tie into the same ones I use for emotions. And I always well, feel guilty when I do that because it's not accurate. Well, it depends. That's a great point, Dorothy. But to a degree, there, I mean, there, our spirit being does have emotions, though. 
They're just not the emotions right. of the carnal-minded man. You know, there's the love of God. There's the anger of God. There's the righteous judgment of God. There's the compassion of the Lord. There's the mercy of God. So as we are communing, we will feel the emotions of the realm of the spirit. We, f- we will feel the emotions of our Father. But the problem is that there's so little teaching and understanding that w- for many of us, we've, we've gone into fellowship and we have learned how to stir up the emotions of our soul, uh, of our, our natural man, thinking that's spirit. And so we'll go into a, you know, a, a, a really amped up uh, worship service where the, the drums and, and the guitars or whatever are going so strong. And praise God, there's a place for these things. But if we are not careful, if we are not guided by the Word of God and taught spirit, soul, and body we will feel things from our soul and not the emotions from our spirit man. And one of the easiest ways for us to discern the difference is if I feel encouraged or if I feel better about something and that does not translate into a difference in my walk, it's soul. When the spirit of God touches us, and we come in contact. Our spirit is, uh, is, is communing with the Holy Spirit. And when uh, the mind of Christ, when we, our souls, come in contact with that, it transforms us. We leave permanently different in an area. We leave different than we came. If we go to a service uh, or wherever it is, it could be in home fellowship is no more exempt than anywhere else. It has to do with our motives. It has to do with proper understanding. If I, if I come into... Um, a time with the Lord, an interaction, well, I'll use worship because that's the easiest to describe it, and there's so much of that counterfeit that's going on today. If, if I leave and I just feel good about myself or I just feel good about the Lord, but it doesn't translate into how I'm thinking or how I'm interacting, if there's no fruit of the Spirit that's changed from that, um, there's a really good chance that's just my soul. My, it just fed my soul. And a lot of people have not been taught the difference between spiritual worship and worship of the soul. And we get all amped up and we think that, that we've walked in the spirit. We've interacted in the spirit realm. We have tasted the spirit. We've tasted the Holy Spirit moving among us. And no, we haven't. It had nothing to do with, with God. It just, it just pumped us all up. It's just emotion. And so what you're really describing, Dorothy, is a little tricky in that we have emotions of our soul and we have emotions of our spirit, man. We have emotions burst from the throne of God. And um, as we continue to teach on walking by the spirit, walking by um, the renewed soul, the mind of Christ, which is receiving its information from our spirit, brings more clarity. Um, Hopefully I didn't just confuse anyone with that, but um, that's my take on it. So bottom line is, yeah, maybe we need new language. <laughs> you know, we need, we know. need a different like, – how would you explain to someone, a, a, a newbie, a new Christian, mm-hmm. what spiritual discernment feels like? Well, I can't do it. <laughs> Um, well, as a, as a, as a teacher, and I don't mean a teacher in, in the fivefold ministries, I mean someone in the body of Christ and elder, I'm, I'm called to teach, I'm, I'm called, we are all called to raise up into the fullness of Christ. We are all called to grow up into maturity, 
to teach and to disciple the next generation. So that, that's something that, and I mentioned that a little bit in my most recent post. Um, so having said that, when I am discipling someone to Christ, I'm discipling someone in Christ, I always start with first we must know our identity. We must know we are fully loved and pleasing. Because if to the degree that we do not know that and cannot teach that in the word, it's going to be very difficult for us to begin to discern spirit and soul because we're looking for an experience to validate our worth. And so it's extremely difficult to get someone to separate that because the carnal mind is trying to cling to something. And whenever the carnal mind is on the throne, whenever, the, whenever we're trying to get something, it means we've rejected the truth we already are something. So if we do not receive and walk in the revelation and in the truth, we are complete. That means we're trying to get something value, worth, identity, love, something. We're trying to get something from the world. And that is the carnal minded man. That is the soul. That is the mind, will, and emotion of of the fallen man. And that never can cooperate with the Holy Spirit. So there's a lot of mingling and confusion that goes on. Um, and so it's it's very difficult to discern the two things. And that's usually why for young believers God usually speaks in dreams. Um, now he speaks to me a lot in dreams. Um, so I don't want to say if someone's dreaming, that means you're immature. I'm not saying that. I mean, that's an, that's an easy way to bypass our soul because he's speaking to us and we, our thoughts can't get in the way. Um, and then as someone matures, he moves on to different forms of communication a lot of times, begins changing the way he speaks to round us out. Um, so in the beginning, what I... What I disciple on always is the identity in Christ, the righteousness of Christ, and begin learning how to commune spirit to spirit. Because the communion of the spirit comes from within inside of us, and we begin to discern it not from our mind, from, from like our chest area. It's a knowing of something. And, and that's usually I rely upon feedback from someone, for a baby Christian, I, I ask them feedback. Well, when you pray, you know, tell me about your prayer time. Tell me about this. And they usually share with me things they don't understand, and then I'm able to say, okay, here's what you were experiencing from the Spirit. Here is what the Lord was speaking to you. Um, to try to explain it as theology, um, you know, it only goes so far because we have to experience it, and we can only do that, the scriptures say, when we're in spirit and in truth. We must be in the mind of Christ. We must have our thoughts in alignment with him. So that's the long-winded answer. Is um, I usually won't focus on that. I'll both first focus on our identity in Christ and who he is, the na- his, his nature, his, his aspects. He's love and he's holiness. They don't oppose each other. He's mercy and he's discipline. Um, you know, things like that to understand we're, we're loved, we're complete, a loving dad. that help at all, Dorothy, or not even a little bit? It helps a little bit. <laughs> we can, you we can, can talk tell, more like, about it off the air. I, I do not have the gift of teaching at all. And I remember when I was young, I, I really wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a third-grade school teacher. Thank goodness <laughs> Father intervened. <laughs> Well, maybe you and I will pray together, and we can we can start praying. The Lord will give you more wisdom and insight in how to teach. I know you always say that you enjoy teaching. So we'll, we'll work on that together. Okay. 
Well, I guess I'm going to say good night to everybody and good night to you, Dorothy. And um, I pray everybody uh, you know has a blessed evening, blessed weekend. And for those of you hearing this later on, uh, that this ministers and bless you and anything that uh, that's not of Him. Um, you just let go. We're all imperfect vessels, and uh, we're all on the journey together. And um, it is my privilege and honor to serve through these teachings and broadcasts, whatever way the Lord uh, would want to speak through the scriptures and through what I have to share. Um, so everyone have a wonderful weekend. Have a wonderful week and coming up weeks until we meet uh, the next uh, part two of uh, Doorways to Intimacy. We have two coming up, uh, which is probably going to be speaking to your soul. So we're going to hit this from a completely another angle and how to get into intimacy. Then we'll talking about holiness is another key to intimacy. Uh, we'll be getting into probably a four or five part series on this. But until then, God bless everybody. Uh, God bless you all. And uh, and uh, love to all of you in the name of the Lord. And Dorothy, you have a wonderful weekend as well. You as well. Thanks, Good night, Dorothy. David. God bless. Good night. Talk to you soon. <laughs>